there, how's your writing going? Are you spinning your wheels more than making real progress towards your goals? Are you not quite sure what your writing goals are? If that's you, you're not alone and you're in the right place. My name is Amy Simon and this is the Purposeful Pen Podcast, where we uncover how to build a writing life that brings joy to us, glory to God, and benefit to others. All right. Well, welcome to another episode of The Purposeful Pen. This week, I have another guest, Abigail Wallace, and we are going to talk about all things self-publishing. So a few weeks ago, we talked about traditional publishing, and last week we talked about hybrid publishing. So now we're looking at self-publishing. So Abigail is a scripture-soaked speaker, writer, and joy stalker who stands by grace. She delights to help her friends strengthen their hands in God by looking through the hard to his loving hand. Abigail lives with her husband and two teenage sons in rural Wisconsin, and there she enjoys fast walks, deep talks, chasing sunsets, and challenging others to know the only source of true rest and lasting joy. So welcome, Abigail. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. And I can attest to her love for deep talks and long walks because we actually <laughs> live moderately close to each other and have done that before. And it was super, super fun. Uh, so you self-published your book, Meek Not Weak. I'm sure there are as many different variations of self-publishing as there are people who self-publish. Um, but for you, you know, we think of self-publishing as you're doing all of the things yourself, well, hence the self in self-publishing. So did you do everything yourself or did you hire other people to handle some of the aspects of your book? What did, what did all that look like? Yes. I, I like to say I did the biggest thing. I did the writing, but I did not do most of the technical and formatting things. I actually was able to find what I kind of call a project manager who helped me with all of those or many of those details. Okay. I just, I felt like it had taken me, I'll just back up a little. It took me about 10 years to actually get the manuscript to a place where I felt ready. And so once I got to that point, I knew that I couldn't commit to the other tasks required. So I looked for help. It's a lot of work. There are a lot mm -hmm. of, I think before you go through the process, you don't necessarily <sighs> realize Right. So many techie things. That's a whole job in and of itself to figure out. Um, right. So what what types of jobs did you have? Did you hire people for? What were some of the tasks that you hired out? Right. So the biggest thing I would say was that the formatting of the book, actually taking it from the Google Doc, the 150 pages or whatever, and putting it into a form that looked like a, a book somebody would want to pick up off the shelf and read. and so that's, I would say that was the biggest, but it was also the details of, you know, prodding me to go and get the ISBN number so that it could be listed, helping me realize, oh yes, you need to have your own imprint because this is my book. There's no one else's name is going on this as the publisher. Um, of course, the cover, I had, I thought I had an idea, but once I um, kind of saw some layouts, there was somebody who gave me some draft ideas, I realized, oh, that's that's not really what I want. And then to have somebody who had the skill set to put it in a form that I was proud of. I, I paid for that. I actually contracted with Typewriter Creative. And um, within that, they had someone who helped with the cover design, someone who helped with 
copy, like the copy for the back cover. What I had done earlier, I actually had written a whole book proposal when I was thinking about, do I go a traditional route? And that was through a writer's group. And that was grueling. Honestly, it was very arduous. I did that two summers before the book actually came out. And it was about a 35 page book proposal that, you know, could be sent to an agent if they were interested, who could then share it with a publishing house. And that was so helpful. Um, In retrospect, I realized that even though I didn't do a traditional publishing route, it was that copy that I had put into that book proposal that ended up being used on the back cover in the Amazon description. So it wasn't for naught (laughs) that the book proposal came through, as well as just a lot of the research about what how is this book different? Do I want this book to be different? What else is out there? Um, so that was a preparation that was really helpful. And I've heard that, that even if you plan to self-publish, like it, writing a book proposal can be a really helpful, you know, particularly for nonfiction, a really helpful thing. And yes, it is arduous and grueling and all of that, but it forces you to kind of think through all of these things. Like who exactly is this book for? Do I have a really concise idea of that? What are the other books like it? And how is mine unique and different? And what is the table of contents? And what are some sample chapters? And what avenues do I have to promote this book? That's all good information to have, even if you're not planning on handing that over to an agent and um, looking at traditionally publishing. So, so you worked with the typewriter creative, did they do all of those things? Did they have a cover designer and the formatting and, and an editor was that all in one package deal? They did. It was terrific. And I can say, I, I heard about them through another um, writer from a writer's group. She had self-published a book and I purchased it. I read it. I loved her writing, but I also liked how it was packaged. I thought it was, it just, it looked very professional. It looked, you know, just, just like a traditionally published book. So when I inquired more, um, I actually had a nice visit with her. She doesn't live in the state, but we had a nice long phone call about her interaction with typewriter creative and how they had helped her. So that was step one. And she, yes, she assured me that they did have all those people. They had the the people who would help with the cover, the people who would help with the inside formatting, as well as just sort of the project manager who, and I can tell you with typewriter creative, it was a three week window. So basically once there was a commitment, it was, I had their attention. (laughs) They would be working on Meek Not Week for three weeks, no other projects. And it was an intense three weeks once that was you know, determine when it would be. In fact, I actually, uh, we, I delayed that once because I realized I really wasn't quite ready and we waited a few more months. Um, so yes, it was one typewriter creative handled all of those people. They had f- four different uh, women in this case who helped me. Was there any type of like vetting process? Like, did you have to apply to them or did were they, if you paid them money, they were willing to take on your project? Correct. It was the second I really felt there was definitely an interview and I described what I was looking for, but um, no, I wouldn't say it was them vetting me as much as me making sure that this was someone I would trust to do the book and um, yeah, could comply with, I think really that, that deadline was crucial because once they, they gave me that grace period of those few months to delay, but once you're in that three week, there's no, there's no going back. I mean, you have to, it has to be written and 
because <laughs> they're not they're not editing for you. They weren't looking for my typos. They weren't looking to say, oh, this makes sense, or oh, you just repeated chapter three and chapter seven, or oh, are you? Sh-? There was nothing like that. So I had to really be ready to go. But no, it wasn't um, them vetting me. I had looked at sort of like the different pieces. I had talked to somebody who could help me format and thought about that. I did have a I thought of doing the cover myself, um, and heard. Yeah, different methods of going about that using Canva and different options. But once I talked to Typewriter Creative and once I saw their product in my friend's book, um, When the Heart Speaks was her book, I just thought, nope, I just don't have the bandwidth and I am content and trust them. And the price was, I'll I'll share that now. Your your listeners might be interested to know. It was about for my length of book, because obviously the longer it is, the more cost would be involved. So for me with with everything, and that includes like the things I had to go and do on my own, but they had to happen, like getting the ISBN number. Um, I think having an imprint, yeah, I'm not sure, but there were some little details, but it, it was around $2,000 for the whole package. So in my head, going into it, I knew that's what I'd like to recover <laughs> from this process. Absolutely. So they did not do any editing. Did you hire a separate editor? Well, that's a great question. I wish I had. And the reason I say that is because I'm your listeners can't see, but in my hand, I'm holding the original copy of my book. And um, the original had the spine, like the title was backwards on the spine. So if my book were upright on a bookshelf, it would look upside down, if that makes sense. And the things you don't think of. No. It needs to go you this way, not that way. <laughs> no one thought that. that. That's actually not the editing. But that was a piece where, oh, I wish I would have had a, a more fine-tuned eye. But no, I also wish I would have had just really that editor who was looking for the commas and the misspelled words and the spaces after commas. Because that was all on me. And I did not pay. I had, I had a few other helpers. I had some wonderful alpha readers, I call them, who are people who were with me five years ago, five years before the book was published, who helped me really organize the structure of the book. One friend in particular, a friend's husband um, named Rob, helped me immensely. He helped me structure it so that I had these main three sections and it was invaluable. His just overall eye. And then as I got closer um, that summer before, I had probably six beta readers, I'll call them, who looked through the whole manuscript and they were able to make their comments on the doc. Like, did you mean this? Are you sure you want to say that? (laughs) I did have one gal who helped me specifically with, because there are a lot of scripture references in my book. And she made sure that all of those were matched, which was huge, but all that was a gift. So again, my answer is no, I didn't pay, but going forward, I think I would pay for that service. Yeah. Makes sense. But it sounds like you had some great, great friends to help you um, as sure well. Did. So besides from the obvious part of like doing the writing of the book, mm-hmm. what other preparation did you do for before the publishing process? Like you said, you had that three weeks, everything had to be done. That must have been an intense three weeks. It man. was. It sure was. <laughs> Side note. Exhilarating but, and intense, definitely. Yes, yes. So what what other preparation did you do to get ready for the publishing process? Right. So I, I kind of mentioned earlier, writing that book proposal was so helpful in that it helped me to look at other what they call comparable books. And around about the time I wrote my book, 
Dane Orland had this huge book called Gentle and Lowly come out. And I read that book and I um, I remember thinking like it was it was clarifying for me in terms of how I wanted to make mine a little different to obviously it was reinforcing to be able to look at comparable works, which there weren't a ton, honestly, about meekness. Um, but to look at those and think, what am I doing that's a little different? What could set this off to a different audience in a new way? So that was a preparation to read other similar works, which had been going, you know, for years, but then especially the year or two before I published. The other huge thing, huge, was having my Thursday ladies Bible study help me. And those ladies, I actually was with them this morning and I walked out with my friend, Susan, and I said, Susan, I'm going to be interviewed and I'm going to talk about how helpful you all were, because for about a three month period, those women agreed to go through my manuscript chapter by chapter and give me live, you know, in-person feedback about what I'd written. And that, I won't say entirely transformed the book, but it it changed it substantially. And it, it, was, uh, it was kind of like a mirror for the reaction that I hoped I'd get. I saw if I got it or if I didn't get it. And if I didn't get it, it helped me to, you know, realign, rewrite, to, as they say, to murder my darlings, these old Puritan quotes that really were a little bit too far into the weeds for most people. Um, there's still plenty in there, but I took a lot out. So that was a huge preparation was to actually set the manuscript before. And again, that was months before it went to typewriter creative months and months, about eight months before, but to have that real person, real time feedback that then I would go home and I would have my my deadline this week I need to change these things because next week we're on to a new chapter and it was actually in the process of of meeting with them that I realized you know I really had I should have some discussion questions at the end something that I didn't originally have and that I will say that was a godsend because in terms of um, I'm using this term loosely marketing but in terms of marketing my book because those questions are in there I feel that I can advertise it, promote it as a Bible study sort of book. And it's open doors for sales and for just getting that message of meekness out. And that only came because I sat down with real people and had real feedback. I love that. You know, I think so many times we think that writing the book is the first step in the process of getting our message out to our readers and serving them. But so it, it it's kind of the end of the process. Like there's so much, I mean, you talked about, you, you spent 10 years, you know, working on this and developing the idea, putting it out there to actual real in-person readers to get their feedback. And, and I love it. It totally, you said it, it transformed your, your material so much and I'm sure made it so much more valuable because you had those actual in real life people looking at it. So I, I love that. And I would totally recommend that for anybody else. Yes, um, I would. You know, there were some nitty gritty details that I can share too, once it got past that point. But like looking back, there were decisions I didn't, I didn't really think about. Or how do I say this? I think I um, just I had a product in my mind, but I didn't realize what that would mean for the actual physical copy of the book. And my my example here is the size. In my mind, I had the how, whether it was, and golly, I'm forgetting the exact dimensions now, but I ended up going with a slightly larger size of my book so that it would be a thinner book. My other option was to have it the smaller book, it would have been thick. <laughs> and I thought that that blew my sort of my vision couldn't happen. So I had to settle. I think it's important for people to see what is 
possible because for actually that was a little bit devastating when I realized that I was setting up my books on my bookshelf and I thought oh no Meek Not Week's going to be bigger than my other favorites I, I can't stand that but that was a decision little decisions like uh, you know glossy or matte the retail cost that was hard for me to settle on too those are like I said the more nitty-gritty once it gets close to it but if you're self-publishing that's all on you to decide yes it is <laughs> all the decisions so you had, you mentioned alpha readers hmm. who helped you kind of look at the big picture, beta readers, you, you, know, you shared it with your Bible study. What other people were involved in this process? So besides the Bible study, I want to back up to the, so even after the Bible study, that was sort of between alpha and beta, whatever that would be, alpha, alpha plus point one. version two. Um, I had a group of writer friends who just came alongside some of them just responded to my instagram request like are you interested in being a beta reader two came that way two are friends who i'm not real close with but they're avid readers and for whatever reason god moved them to want to to read the whole draft um so those people were just huge and i even say like literally i have said this is our book when i think of my friend cheryl my friend cat my friend kendra like their suggestions are part of my book now. So I say my book, but it is our book in a sense. Sometimes I'll, I'll even chuckle as I'm reading a, a paragraph and I'll be like, oh yeah, that was how Kat <laughs> reworded it. And I, you know, it settled. So it was, it was having first the Bible study ladies, and then it was having these other readers look through with a more fine tooth comb and then endorsers. And those endorsers were people who in my circle were, you know, the bigger names, people who it took a little guts for me to go and ask them, will you give this a read? And and if you're willing, write a, you know, two or three sentences that I might include in the front of the book. And after I did that a few times and got good response, I kept asking to maybe to a fault because <laughs> anyone does read my book, there are, oh golly, I pretty much didn't spare any of them. They're mostly all in here because I guess it did add a credibility. And I know as a reader, I like to read what other readers have read before I read some, especially if they're people I trust, before I invest my time in a book. So yes, many readers who were endorsers, they read enough of it that they felt comfortable endorsing. And again, that was all before it went to print because I wanted to include that in the print. Um, and you say involved, do you mean pre-publishing or after? Either one, both. Either. Well, then when it came to actually, <laughs> once it was in print, then it was all about the launch team and it was all about friends and family taking them to Thanksgiving. I did that last Thanksgiving. Um, it was about enthusiastic friends. And here I just want to, you know, say the word grace again, God's grace, because I think, you know, it is, this book was a reflection, I think, partly of, of who I am in my life. So the people who knew me already as friends were willing to invest in it, so to speak. And I, I think of my friend, Suzanne, who she purchased 20, a box of 20 to share for Christmas last year with her sisters and her friends from church. So it was kind of just the talking about it and the asking and God stirs hearts. Like I didn't ask her to buy a box, but um, there were a lot of friends involved. And that's what I'm realizing now a year and a month out from it being published is how one thing leads to another and you don't know what person is going to say, wow, I read this book about meekness. Like who knew meekness? <laughs> And it's impacted the way I think of 
the hard things in my life. And I think you should read it. And so I think just, you know, sharing and trusting that God will draw the right people to your words, who then in turn might recommend it, who then recommend it to their church. And I'll just share this really wonderful kindness of God. About a month ago, I got an email to my to my business email from a gal from a church about a half an hour from here. And she said, we would like to have our whole women's ministry do Meek Not Week starting in January. And can you speak on it? And then we'll just buy books for all the ladies. And I, wow, like how humbling that was. And I, I kind of probed a little, I think I know who the person was who recommended it to a person that she knows, who then she read it. And then she and another gal on the women's ministry said, let's do this. So yeah, just being, you know, open about it, but not, I wasn't pushy there, but I might've been pushy. I'll be honest. I did have a goal for Amazon reviews. Like I wanted to have 50 reviews within a year. I've heard that if you have 50, then Amazon is more likely to promote it. Like you might also like this book. I've heard that from a couple of credible sources. So 50 was my goal. And I did push a little bit. I sent repeated emails to my email list and friends saying, oh, would you please? Ran a couple little contests. Like if you do a review, I'll do a drawing. And so yes, they were involved too. The people who wrote reviews, I'm not certain, like I can't translate that exactly to how many book sales, but I know that I have 51 reviews last time I checked on Amazon. I love that it. It was a blessing. Yes. People to come around. Well, and to me, that all speaks of the value of community, writer friends who will come along behind you and help you with all those sorts of things. And, and also the power of, you you never know, you know, what, who's going to connect to who and how God's going to use all those things. And so don't be afraid to get the word out there and, and just see what happens. But I chime in with a favorite quote here, Amy. Yeah. In that, in that vein, I use this not just for the book, but in so many areas of life, the quote came after um, in a sermon, I think on Ecclesiastes, where it talks about like, if you observe the wind, you won't sow. And if you regard the clouds, you won't reap and cast your bread on the waters because you don't know what will come back. And I I really do. Um, t- I think that's applicable even to self-publishing. I don't mean rashly to do it. As I've said, this thing took me 10 years, but to get it out there, even if it's not perfect, um, but to know, you know what, God can do something with this that I don't see. And I don't know yet, but I'm going to put it out there. So here's the quote. You do not know if it will grow, but you will not reap if you do not sow. So self-publishing for me was really a way of sowing, trusting that God could bring something if he wanted to. And then see what happens, see what Mm -hmm. he does. So what made you choose self-publishing? You obviously, you put all this time into this Mm -hmm. um, book proposal, but then decided you were going to do the self-publishing route. Like what made you make that decision? And what were some of the pros and cons of self-publishing? Sure. For me, it it became very simple, very quickly. After I did the book proposal, I did meet with an agent. She gave me a few suggestions and said, you know, get back to me when you tweak this and that. And I didn't feel that it, because even if you have an agent, that's not a guarantee that you have a publishing contract. <laughs> that just means yep. they're willing to go try to pitch it to publishers that they know. So I felt that that was another, a really long if, and I wasn't ready to wait that really long if. I also wasn't ready to, as I said, I know I'm I'm very limited in my time bandwidth, as we talked about, and to build that platform more. Because really when I think when you're when a publisher takes you on, they're doing that in large part 
um, because you have a name and a following and, you know, they're, they want to sell books. So they want to know that you can guarantee a certain amount of sales. And that makes sense. They're a business. And I wasn't, I don't have that big of a, a platform. You know, I don't have tens of thousands and thousands on my email list, just a few hundred. So it's like, I just, I knew it was just a big if, if that would ever happen. And I wasn't ready to wait for that. So to me, it was a clear decision. That's fair. So what are some of the other pros oh, to you, other than not absolutely. having to jump through all of the hoops and wait for the big ifs and all that sort of thing? What what are some other pros that you found to self-publishing? Oh, absolutely. So definitely control. Um, not that I always wanted the control, but I had the control. And when I had typewriter creative, like I said, they were they were doing my bidding for those three weeks. So it was like what I wanted, they, they would try to accommodate. So even in things like the layout and the text boxes, like I wanted two quotes to start each chapter to be in a shaded text box. And I could do that. I could pick the quotes. Nobody was telling me mm, that doesn't resonate. Or I, so I, it was really, I mean, it's a two-sided coin, but for me, that was a positive for sure. The rights it's, it's mine. I can do what I want with it when I want. And as I said, I think I shared that I was able to recoup that $2,000 that I invested in less than a year. It probably was six, seven months later. So now like it's all mine. I'm not sharing any money with a publisher. There's not a a dispute about royalties. It's all mine. (laughs) That's the biggest pro. And the con, you know, I guess it's just that idea of, I can't say that I had, you know, a human in a high place who who trusted my my work and validated it. I think the good Lord has done that. And I have a lot of friends and readers who have, but I don't have a another imprint on my book. I just have my joyfully pressing on. So I don't have an outside validation. That's the biggest con. And if I'm honest, oh yeah, I would love that. <laughs> I would, but it didn't, it wasn't a possibility for me at this point. And the other thing I realized, if I could just add on, which isn't to say it wouldn't be in the future, but I'm just so aware of like, this just was the right step for me at this time. And I know we all, God directs us and opens different doors to different people, but I'm thankful for how my experience went. But I asked for a couple of, I won't say their names here, but bigger names who you're probably your listeners would know in the Christian uh, writing world who didn't get back to me (laughs) with an endorsement. And that's a little deflating too, but it's like, to me, it's part of the process. And it's also honestly a part of meekness, right? You, you try and trust that God will bring who he wants to validate or appreciate your words. Definitely. And, you know, as we've talked in previous couple episodes too, about the whole risk versus reward thing and, you know, the, the profits per book for self-publishing is obviously the highest among that range because you're taking on all the risk you put in that financial investment. And then, like you said, once you, you made that back. And so now you get all the profits from, you know, Amazon takes a little bit, but it's definitely the highest percentage out of those three publishing options, which, I mean, that's, that's something, there's something to be said about that too. There is. I think it's good for your listeners who are who are considering self-publishing, like I said, the realistic, the realism. And I think I've heard this multiple times that the average um, self-published book sells 250 copies in its lifetime. And I've heard of a lot of people who don't sell even 100 and they have still have a couple boxes of books in their basement. So 
yeah, I just, I feel like it's just important to be realistic about that. But I also know that there are in the traditional world, there's a lot of effort that has to be expended both to get to the point of, of being traditionally published and then afterward in terms of promotion. In case your listeners are interested, my my experience is right now, just if they like to have hard numbers. Um, so for me to buy an author copy of my book, it costs about $4. And as we were saying, I have the control, I have the the rights, I can sell it you know, honestly, for whatever I want, I think it says sixteen ninety nine on the back. Um, so I wouldn't go over that, but it's my prerogative. If I want to go to a speaking event and sell it for ten dollars or two for twenty five, or I mean, they can do the math. And if I do sell for Amazon, obviously the profit is is less if people buy there, but it's about um, a seven dollar profit for book that I get. But I did. It was just God's grace. Like I've. I met that two met the two thousand dollar mark to recoup my cost, and now it's been not that again. I'm not primarily in it for the money, but it is a blessing, and it's um, what's the word? It's validating also for my husband to hear that yes, all this time you you spend on your writing, you're bringing home some something. Absolutely. So, who do you think self publishing is a good option for? Who is the type of writer that that would work for? I for sure somebody who has the book written. And I, I want to add here, I've written a few different um, articles just recently, like in the last two weeks about like, just because you have a memoir, just because you have a, you know, a hard life story or a painful life story doesn't mean it needs to be a book. And think about that. I just actually read one two days ago and it just said, you know, once you have those words out there, they are a reflection of you like forever. They're in print. Some people, that is the only way they will know you. So be sure. Um, that if you are even self-publishing, that it's something you're comfortable being associated with for as long as you shall live and even after, right? Um, so I'm actually telling you that's kind of the opposite of your question. I would say if you don't have a book that you really believe in and want associated with you, it might not be a good option. But if you do, if it's one of these, like in my case, it was just like the book that kept making me and then I did get some good listener, reader feedback um, over time that kept propelling me forward. So I would say that definitely. And then if I'm honest, I think it's just important to be realistic. And if you're someone who doesn't have thousands and thousands really of people who are already reading your words, who you could, you know, vouch to a publisher will buy a copy of a book. I'm not saying it wouldn't happen, but it seems unlikely from what I've heard that a traditional publisher would, would want to publish your words at that point. So if you're not someone who's there, but still has a message that you believe in and has it written, I would say it's a marvelous option. And I, I just shared this too. Like practically when I I was at a speaking engagement in November and sold several copies of my book and not one person asked me, was this self-published? Who published this for you? Like, I feel like unless you're someone sort of in our world who is considering those options, the average reader doesn't really care. They just want to know, does it look cool? The cover look cool? And is the content good? So that was uh, in retrospect, I'm just, it makes me even more thankful. Cause I think to me, there was a bigger divide in my head. Like, Oh my goodness, it doesn't have the the same credibility, but um, yeah. So if the book's ready, if you believe in it and are, you know, ready for that to be associated with you and maybe aren't wanting to wait an indefinite amount of time for an agent or publisher to pick you up, it's a great option. 
Well, and I think, you know, in the earlier days of self-publishing, you know, those books were sometimes looked down upon. Um, but I think it seems like self-publishing is becoming more and more of a perfectly reputable option. There are a lot of people who could get a traditional book deal, but they don't want to because they're like, no, I can I can do better doing it myself and bring home more of the the profit from it and rather than hand that over to a traditional exactly. publisher. So, I have, right. I have two friends in exactly that camp who I who were traditionally published. Actually both of them were in fiction, but the same thing. They were traditionally published and their uh future books were self-published for exactly the reason you said the control and the, the profit was in their hands. Yeah. So what are some of the lessons you've learned through self-publishing? Oh golly. Well, one of them I shared was just get others involved. Don't be afraid to ask. Go out there and be bold. Especially, I'm thinking of the launch team. Like, I had no idea, partly because it was kind of new to me. I should have mentioned that earlier. That was part of my preparation was to get on a couple of launch teams before my book launched, just to see what people, you know, did, how they promoted, how they encouraged, how they uh, rewarded their launch team. But I realized early into the asking that there were a lot of women who like, this is what they do. They love being on launch teams. They love taking a picture of them with a book and posting it. It, which again, that's not everyone, but there were quite a number of women who did that with my book, even though I, like, I only knew them on Instagram or, you know, just the friend of a friend kind of thing. So I learned that just be bold and ask, cause you never know this is what some people love. I also mentioned the other one, pay for a, like a line by line copy editor. In my case, um, that would have been a good value because my first, oh my goodness, the first couple hundred books that were sold have at least 30 typos that I'm aware of. Sorry if you have one of those copies, it's improved now. Um, set deadlines, I think. What I mean by that is for sure, if you're contracting with someone, then that's imposed on you from the outside. But I know for me, the deadline of having that uh, women's group I had a weekly deadline, like this chapter needs to be in a form that's shareable. And then I had the deadline of I'm going to make the revisions based on that feedback in the next week. That was so helpful to me. And again, that wasn't in writing the book, but more in the in the edits of it. That was helpful to have that deadline. Um, and it took more time. So give yourself more time than you think. <laughs> that's my other lesson. And then offer to lead. This was actually came after the book was published, but like this totally was not on my radar when I read it. I was just thinking of it as a book in print, but I soon learned like people were asking like, can you lead a virtual study on this? And I actually did that the, the spring after it came out and there were about eight ladies who signed up from around the country who I, not just my own friends here, but um, people I otherwise didn't know. And we had a Zoom six week Bible study or meek not weak study. And then it opens this door. Like I say, it's kind of a ticket to ride. And so to, to say, yes, I love to speak about meekness and I can connect that topic to, to Christmas or you name it. So, but just kind of seeing the, the speaking side or the, the study, like the other sort of um, outlets besides just, here's a hard copy of a book that, and again, that's kind of a community, but it's putting yourself out there. And, and it was something I learned because you know, I had no idea about that before I went into it. 
Well, and two, it sounds like, you know, you got to love your topic because you're, you're going to be living that for a while. I mean, you speak on it, you do Bible studies on it, you slant it to all these different pieces. And so it it better be something you're good with living with and really (laughs) leaning into over a long period of time, because that's going to be the thing for a while. (laughs) Exactly. Yes, it is. I am the meat geek. That's okay. So. Thanks for sharing all of the things. Um, So tell us a little bit about your book and where can we find it? Sure. I like to call it a practical and biblical treatise on what is a totally misunderstood, totally countercultural virtue. Like it has just been neglected and forgotten, but it is such a, um, like Jesus gives life, but in a way, this message is very life-giving. It's it's a way of reframing. Meekness is a way of reframing all the trials that God sends. And and in a way, I, I like always laugh when I do this. I'm like, the, this is not really a new subject. It's just sort of a new word, a new slant, kind of recovering some of the biblical language and verses that we just like gloss over when, when Jesus himself said, blessed are the meek. Like there's something there. If he said we are blessed. So yeah, it's just trying to recover that, that old forgotten and, and misunderstood virtue because it is not a weakness. It's such a strength. And I think that I've had wonderful feedback from just a variety of women where they'll say, yes, this is totally, I was like this, I need to be meek in a situation where they were the last one I heard was a friend was at a friend's really fancy, big, gorgeous house. And hers wasn't quite that way. And she remembered part of the book where we talk about contentment and trusting that God knows what is good for us. And she said, meek, meek, like she was just intoning that to herself in her friend's fancy kitchen. So I feel like what I've tried to do is create, it is biblical and scriptural. And there are a lot of Bible quotes and quotes from, you know, fathers in the church and and wise women in the church, but then trying to make it practical. I think that's what I offer. It's not just, I I don't think it's dry. I think you'll find real practical application to how to bring meekness into your life. And it's available on Amazon. On Amazon. Well, I will definitely put all the links in the show notes. Anywhere else that they can find you, you have a website, right? Sure. Yes. AbigailWallace.com and on Instagram. Yep. And Facebook. Easy enough. Thank you. Well, thanks so much, Abigail. I really appreciate all the thoughts and it's such a helpful to see the the behind the scenes to this big topic of self-publishing. So thanks so much for being here. Yes, thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Substack to take advantage of additional resources. Comment on the chat questions and see what others are saying as well. There are also journaling prompts you can download to further process the things we talk about in each week's episode. You can further support the podcast by liking it, commenting on it, and of course, sharing it with others.